You know, when you think about God's judgment, it really is his mercy. It really is. How many of us have lived our life just blind to the real reality of life? The real reality of what we were doing. The real reality of the, of the path that we were taking. I mean, can you, visit, can you see it in your mind right now as I'm talking about it? I can. With me. And unless it was the judgment of God revealing the reality of what's going on inside our hearts and the actions that we're living out, where would we be? Where would we be? We'd be lost. Amen. Amen. We're going back into the book of Romans uh, for one week. Somebody decided to put Mother's Day on the 8th of May this year. And so I thought it'd be appropriate that we address mothers next week. And so uh, we're going one week. Um, and so turn with me to the book of Romans, the second chapter. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And uh, Doug will uh, bring a Bible to you. And we haven't said this in a long time, but uh, if you don't own a Bible and you're given one here, please do not give it back. It is yours to take with you, to take it home. And, uh, and so... Uh, Romans, the second chapter. As you're turning there, I just want to remind you why in the world. And it's so funny to watch people with this, uh, with this little bridge uh, because you know, it's just, you know, you get, you get people that uh, they have to stand off the back. You get people who kind of walk on this and kind of keep their foot off it. And, um, and so... Um, had, Nate, your, your comment was amazing because it, uh, it um, uh, he, you know, you say you move too much for the bridge. Uh, this is keeping an ADHD guy in place uh, during this, this teaching. So, but the bridge represents the book of Romans. It is made out of old wood. And we serve a God that is making new out of old He's restoring and rebuilding, and he's taking that which the world says is trash and making it brand new. Anybody say, want to say amen to that? Amen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And some of us have felt our lives were trash. It, it really has three parts to it. The first ramp, uh, which you may not be able to see, is really the ramp of getting to know who you really are. It is, it is the first part of Romans that reveals your heart, and who you really are. The second section, the middle section, is the gospel. It is who God is and who his son is and the power of the Holy Spirit living within us and the atonement of Christ and what we need in our life for transformation and change. Someone once said, he said, I've never really seen transformation in church. And I said, why don't you be the first one? Because I don't think you can see transformation without your life being transformed. You're blind to it. The, 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 the last ramp is the ramp of a life that is no longer your own. But it is God's to do with whatever he wants. And so it is the last part of the book of Romans. It is the service. So you could say, um, you know, it, it's sin, the gospel, and service. So many ways that you can say that. That's the book of Romans. That is the theology that Paul was taught in the desert by Jesus Christ himself. And so we're walking through it together. Um, and uh, uh, so as we go to the book of Romans, second chapter, the first five verses, hear the word of God. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge other, another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant hearts, 
You are storing up wrath against yourselves for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, uh, in and amidst this group of people, this assembly that has come before you to hear your word, Lord, you know where each and every heart is. You know the things that are going through their mind at this moment as I'm praying. And you also know how you have brought them here and why you've brought them here. I pray that, Father, that your word will witness to our heart today. That, Lord, the inadequacy of a human being uh, will not get in the way of the completeness of your word and the truth of your word that is more true than the speaker that's speaking it. And so, Father, I just pray in the submission to your word that, Lord, our hearts will be open. For, Lord, a hardened heart is a formidable tool in the hand of the enemy. And so, Father, free our hearts. Make them soft like you promised us in Ezekiel 36. Break the stones and bring a heart of flesh before your word. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. As we walk together through the book of Romans, we come to the next logical step. And a God who has created a universe has absolute truth in place that is unapologetic in its reality, in its judgment, and effect on both believers and unbelievers. Verse 1 of chapter 2 brings us to a place. It says, you therefore have no excuse. Brings us back to chapter 1 in which Paul said these words under the inspiration of God, starting with the 18th verse, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then it goes on and says in verse 20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. It's not a little thing when the thunder of God and the wind of God speaks to you. Because all creation is crying out, there's a God. There's a God. Those that have suppressed the truth are those who, in the foolishness and the darkness of their own thinking, they have moved by that foolishness into idolatry, the worship of inanimate things or earthly things instead of the worship of God. They move into adultery because the worship of idols in relationship to this world is in adultery to the God of this world. It is all about relationship. And when we move away from him, we move into a life of idolatry, adultery, and then into no more Understood by us than in today's society, we, knew, we move into a new identity. Identity that comes under the discipleship of sexuality. It should not surprise you that sexuality is leading so many people today. For it is the basement of rebellion. And they then turn around and teach that same lifestyle. The newscasts that we hear today, the things that we are seeing, the things that are being taught in our school remind us that the Bible is true and what's happening in front of our face is true. And so Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, reveals to us that chapter one is a righteous decree and judgment of God. God's judgments are always true and right. Romans three tells us that the law of God silences Every man. Every man. Do you believe we serve a righteous judge? Do you believe that we serve a judge that knows your heart right now, knows every thought that you think, every action that you do? That song could have been no more perfect, Ryan, than what you just sang. 
It is very direct and very in our, it was perfect. The Holy Spirit led you to that because that's true. That's true. God is revealed as the judge of the universe. Psalm 7 says in the 11th verse, God is the righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. Psalm 9.8 says he rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. Psalm 54 and 6 says he sums the... Uh, he summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people and the heavens proclaim his righteousness for he is a God of justice. In Psalm 51 verse 4, David, convicted of his sins, says against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. So God is the true judge over all, and his judgments will stand throughout eternity. But this is where it gets interesting. For in this verse it says that those who have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Is it right for mankind to judge? It is a question that we have asked over the past few years, many years now, time and time again, it has been debated over and over again, especially in the light of a society that rejects any kind of accountability for their actions and a call to do what is right. The parallel passage uh, to this verse comes from Matthew 7. Jesus' own words to us as he says these as he says these words in the first uh, five verses, he says, Do not judge or you, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take a speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Certainly God is saying that we don't judge, right? Certainly there's a judgment. If we don't judge, then a police officer cannot just tell you that you ran a red light. So that certainly cannot be what God is talking about to us. But that we understand, we understand the unchanging law of judgment. The unchanging law of judgment. Um, it is the eternal law of, of the law of God that there are, there are two kind of judgments on the earth that come for mankind. The one that God is, is, is talking about is the judgment of retaliation. It's the judgment of like for like, return evil for evil, or pay back injury for injury. It is the judgment, you have hurt me, and so I will hurt you, so you can experience the pain you have given to me. It comes from a heart that is filled with vengeance and condemnation. It is a reflection of our sinful nature that is naturally drawn to protect others, protect ourselves from others, and take care of me. It is a judgment that comes from the fact that you yourself do the same thing in return. A person of retaliation has come to a place where they lift the sin of another above their own and feel justified to condemn because the other person deserves the judgment. But there is a second judgment, and it's the judgment of retribution. It is the judgment in the light of the measure. It is a thoughtful reflection on the judgment that is coming to light. It is to pay or repaid deserved punishment for evil done. It is what our, our courts should be doing and what we can do. The golden rule says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It is the thoughtfulness of saying would I want this done to me, that which I'm thinking of doing to others? It is judging others in the light that the same judgment could return to you. 
Now, contextually, you've got to think about in the light of the Jewish audience that would have been listening to Paul, the religious leaders would have totally agreed with chapter 1. They would have said, absolutely, these people deserve to go to hell, and uh, they're probably the Samaritans, most of them. But the problem comes that they had a different measure for the Jewish people versus everyone else. In his dialogue with um, Triophil, the second century Christian, Justin Martyr, reports that his Jewish opponent is saying these words. They who are the seed of Abraham, according to the flesh, shall in any case, even if they be sinners and unbelieving and disobedient toward God, share in the eternal kingdom. Meaning, because they were God's chosen people and descendants of Abraham, they were blessed people, no matter what evil action they chose to decide to do. In the end, God would just choose them, and everything would just work out. It caused them to condemn sin in others, but have a double standard within themselves. That is false judgment. That is why Paul comes against judgment of the hearers, because through the Holy Spirit's revealing, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. You know, it's a hard pill to swallow that um, Paul would say to us today, are you quick to criticize others for the very things you are guilty of? That is sometimes how, how quickly the sin of someone else jumps out, jumps out to our own criticism is because we ourselves do the same thing. It is the reason why we see hypocrisy, deceit, and the lack of genuineness in others because those same characteristics can and do live within us. So the difference between true and false judgment is really the condition of the heart of a human. If a person's heart harbors sin, it will be a heart of retaliation, which will bring condemnation into judgment. If it's a person's heart that has been redeemed, it will bring retribution. That will create an atmosphere of true judgment. A judgment for restoration. That's the song that Ryan was singing to us. As ominous as the song was, it is a beautiful song because it is a song of God's heart saying, don't keep walking down the same path. Don't keep going that way. It amazes me at how some can walk into the seats of a church, be living totally in rebellion to God, and yet walk out absolutely justified for what they're doing, absolutely confident and in comfort of what they're doing. It's a very scary thing. God's judgment is his mercy. For you to see your heart is really to show that God's judgment is beautiful and pure and is merciful because a person walking to the end of their life confident in something that is unstable will lead them in separation from God forever. I want you that to impact your heart. I want you to hear that today. Because it says in verse 2, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Is based on truth. In the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter, he says these words to us in the 17th through the 18th verse about the, about the truth of our God. It says, because God wanted to make the unchangeable nature of his person very clear to his heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. 
God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. When we come to God, there are two great unchangeable things. One is every promise of God will come true, is come true, has come true. You can take it to a bank. God's promise is true. If he says it, he'll do it. And the second thing is, it is impossible for God to lie. He can't lie. He will not lie. If you read it, you can believe it. And you can stand on it as absolute truth. That's why the Apostle Paul in this second chapter says, now we know now we know. Psalm 96, 13 says this, Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples and his, yeah, the peoples in his faithfulness. So when it comes in a moment of judgment, we better base it on the word of God and not our opinion. Because our opinion is rooted in sinful nature that can still exist within the members of our being. I love um, the book of Romans, the seventh chapter. And it says to us in the 21st verse, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Who can save me from such a man? Thanks be to Christ Jesus, my Lord. Psalm 118, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light unto my path. Lamp is the light that reflects the enlightenment of the truth. Lamp represents the bright light shining right here, right now, right in your heart to guide your heart right now to hear what you need to hear. The light represents the truth that is still far off. The revelation that has not yet come. It is the revelation for the future that finds its assurance in the creator of the light without knowing the full extent of the future. The Jewish people developed the law into themselves. They developed 613, 600 and some laws to try to keep their hearts within what they called righteousness, but was self-righteousness. As Paul is speaking and teaching out of Romans, he is trying to break them out of their confidence in their heritage, their confidence, in their own human-developed religion, and begin to let them see who they are, who God is, and their great need for him. In the, in the third verse, it says this about the condemning road of self-righteous judgment. It says, so you... When you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, you think you will escape God's judgment. Same thing. Righteousness is the right definition of a heart that judges someone else for the very same thing that they're doing. It is an unrepentant heart who has put up a guard against the evil world and condemns them for their actions and then justifies their own position. It is a person who holds vengeance against a friend who wronged them and they returned that wrong with unforgiveness. It is something that the church has experienced for many years about the fact that I don't go to church anymore because it's all full of hypocrites. It is that self-righteous judgment. And so God, through Paul, encourages us in the, the 21st verse of the 12th chapter, do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Self-righteous judgment comes from being overcome by evil. There are two judgments of God, 
As I talked about earlier, the first judgment is the judgment of the heart. It is, it, it is Psalm 51, in which David cries out after realizing his sin and, and coming, uh, Nathan confronts him. It is a heart that cries out and says, do not let your spirit leave me. I see me for who I am. The, the bones you have crushed, heal them. It is it is the cry of the heart, hearing the judgment of God and crying in repentance before him. But there's another judgment coming, as the song said. It's the, ju- the final judgment of God where there will be no ability for restoration. It will be over with. It'll be done with. As we are challenged to look at the condition of our hearts in regarding to judgment, Realizing that there is a true judgment that comes from God, we must examine our own hearts first. I think of the psalm, Psalm 139, as a psalm that I have um, often uh, in my prayers is prayed. And it is a, it is a psalm that, uh, that says in the 23rd uh, verse, it says, uh, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. It is a heart that is open to God. The reality of judgment is part of everyday life. You constantly make judgments. You judge what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. You judge so many things. The Jewish people that opposed Paul and opposed the idea of salvation through only through the grace of God by faith in the Son of Jesus came with hardened and unrepented hearts before God. What kind of heart are you coming here today with? Someone once said that a hardened heart is a form- formidable weapon that only produces fruit to destroy. Is that your heart today? Verse 4 is the litmus test of the heart of judgment. It says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You have to understand that for the Jews, uh, the scandal of grace was that it brought equity to all people. Jesus Christ said himself that, that his own act on the cross through the Apostle Paul, that, his, that, that Jesus' act on the cross was to abolish the hostility that was between the two people. And so the litmus test is, is that me? We will learn as we continue to walk through Romans that the only advantage that the Jewish people had um, over all the people of the world was that, with, that which was born within the context of their race. They were chosen by God. They received the law, the covenant, the worship, and the promises. They housed the legacy of the patriarchs, and from them came the prophetic Messiah. But their downfall came... And so does ours when we show contempt for the riches of God. Another way of saying this, we think lightly of his riches. It is to think down or something on someone or someone else or, or something else or to underestimate the true value of the gift. This is where condemnation is birthed. For a heart to condemn, it must first lose its perspective on reality. The reality of a good God. Even in the midst of what seems to be a world full of injustice. And in the midst of that losing it, it creates its own reality. I will bring my own vengeance of justice into certain situation. And so to regain that reality, your heart is drawn, um, when your heart is drawn to condemn, ask yourself, what do I know of God? To raise up the knowledge of the Holy One. The true God brings true perspective to light. Paul paints a picture of this in the verse um, of a God of common grace. One who is good and brings goodness to all people. 
The Old Testament tells us that he opens his hands and all creation are satisfied. He brings rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. His riches have less to do with financial gain and more to do with the gain of our heart. In this verse, we learn of three things. First of all, of his kindness. Kindness is the fruit of the Spirit that believers get to reflect God's kindness. It refers to the benefits that God gives to his people. It is God's kindness that allows that allows a marriage to continue like Sue and mine for 41 years. It is the kindness of God that we get to love each other in this place as a people. And God draws us together. It is the kindness of God that is the benefit that he brings to life in real life. Second, it's the forbearance is the richness of God. It's what he holds back. It's what he holds back. God's mercy is that his hand, withstanding a kind of temporary divine truce by holding back judgment. If you and I are honest with ourselves, each one of us has sinned and even within this last week. And it is the forbearance of God that is withheld the immediate judgment of God. You're here today worshiping, not because you deserve it, but because he drew you. Even in the midst of decisions you made this week, things that you did this week, he's drawing you as a father draws a child and says, I love you. I love you with my heart. I've not given up you. Your life is not over yet. Let's walk together. Let's walk more intimately together. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I know I need it. The forbearance of God. Kindness, forbearance, and then the patience of God. Patience is described as an attitude of a powerful ruler who voluntarily withholds vengeance. As I was was writing this message, I thought about a parent. And I don't know if some of you have had it, but I've um, I've had a child that has been throwing a temper tantrum. And I can remember holding my oldest child in my arms as she was just screaming and yelling and crying. And I just held her. I just held her until she calmed down. That is, that is our God. That is what he does in our lives. Patience conveys the picture of someone who is tremendously strong and is able to withstand assaults. Anybody in this room assaulted God with your words and with your actions? Me too. And yet he sits and he just holds us. He holds us. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. God's kindness, his forbearance, and patience are the riches that he brings to the table of life. Listen to me. God will not violate your free will. He will not. He'll let you make decisions that are away from him. Absolutely he will, if that's what you choose to do. But he is the one, the heart, the judging heart, that is calling to you right now and saying, return to me. Don't stay there. Don't stay in that decision. Even though you did it to protect yourself, even though you did it because you thought that would be where safety would be found, it's not. Safety is in my arms, not anywhere else in this world. Listen to the testimony about his goodness according to the Psalms. Psalm 33, 5. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The, Lord, the earth is full of his unfailing love. Psalm 107, um, 8 and 9 says this. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. It is the goodness or kindness of God that leads us to repentance. 
It's the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Today, I know for sure that there are those among us today that needed to hear that. Repentance is defined as a change of one's mind about sin from loving it to hating it and reasoning that it would take a holy and just God who is good all the time to forgive that sin. It is certainly God's riches at Christ's expense. Just want you to reflect on this thought. Job 12.10 says, It is his hand, in his hand is life of every creature and the breath of every mankind. We, we know that twice in human history that God judged the world. One time was in Noah's time as he judged the world and he saw that every inclination of man's heart was evil. And so he, the judgment came in a flood. Evolutionists are trying to get rid of the flood. They still can't explain why there are fossils at the top of the Grand Canyon. But that was a time in which God came and judged the world. There was a time that he came and wanted to judge the, the, the Israelite nation. And he said to Moses, he said, I am so tired of what the Israelites are doing and how they're rebelling against me that I am going to destroy every one of them. And I'm going to start the seed over in you. It always amazes me how Moses talked him out of it. Maybe it was more just his heart was, was really aligning with God's heart. And what he was speaking was really the words of God out of his own but we understand that, that God has judged the world. And we have pictures of it. We have, we have it in front of us in God's word. It's true. It is true. And so, as you think about that, obviously, I mean... Do you think God's wrath is being stored up today? I, um, I did a little study on something that called furries. Now, there's a reason I did that, because on a newscast, it was announced in a school down south that, um, uh, that there's a request, and I believe it's both from students and from parents, to put kitty litter in the bathrooms. Not because they're bringing their cats to school. Because they have taken the identity of a cat. And in living out their identity, in living out their identity, they want to have kitty litter. It broke my heart that people would be so far from their creator. And I mean, it's chapter one of Romans. It's the fact that, that foolishness leads to idolatry that leads to identity. I couldn't look at much of it. So much of, of, of this identity crisis stuff that's going on in our world is so attached to sexuality. People are taking identity by their sexuality. They're acting out in sexuality and identity. And it just, it, it breaks my heart. But I think sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. I think we ask the question, God, why would you let something like that happen? Are you, I thought you were a good God. We accuse God of being insensitive and unloving for letting certain things happen in our world. We say, how could you, God, allow bad things to happen to good people? Or how could God allow like slavery and, and trafficking ha to happen to what, seemingly innocent people? 
How could you allow this pain in my life? How could a good God ever allow cancer? But I think there should be a new question of a new perspective. And that is this. Not why does God allow seemingly good things to happen, or excuse me, not that God allows seemingly bad things to happen to good people, but that why does God allow seemingly good things to happen to obvious bad people? I think it's a new perspective. Why doesn't he just strike down sinners like he did Ananias and Sapphira? who came falsely with the amount of money and said, why, we give you half and that's all we got. Why not like what he did with Korah and his followers when they rebelled against God and the earth opened up and they were swallowed up? Why doesn't that happen more often? Because it's the kindness of God. The Bible says that, that, that creation is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. That, that, that there are people out there that are waiting for you to share who God is with them. Because you see, the kindness of God found its completion in the atonement of Christ. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As I thought about this verse in the light of the kindness of God, the words jumped out at me, made him. Made. God hasn't made you dead. He hasn't made you a robot. But he made his own son to take your place. He made your own, he, it was his will to crush him and cause him to suffer. What kind of God would absorb the sins of his creation within the body of the likeness of his creation so that the curse of his creation would have its effect on him instead of them? Yes, love, absolutely. God is love. He so loved us, the verse said when we started, that he gave. A kindness of God who wrought forgiveness on the cross of his son Jesus and made a public spectacle of the very evil that desired to destroy him so that that evil that thought it was victory would end up in being defeat and victory would be in Jesus Christ. Through the atonement of Christ, we learn that of a God who took our place. Of a God who suffered the greatest church pain in human history. Whatever you've gone through, whatever in, in, in the religious setting you've gone through, Jesus Christ went through much more. That's why verse 5 warns us, is, warning is so important. Because there is a coming judgment and we need to understand the awareness of our sin. We need to trust in the true judgment of God. We need to reject any self-righteousness that says, well, I'm not as bad as others. And have a double standard. And we need to let the kindness of God lead us to a new perspective in life. If we don't, the Holy Spirit leads us to understand of truth, and that is... Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. A hardened heart stores up wrath for the coming judgment. Stubbornness is the same word that we use in the medical uh, field of sclerosis. Arteriosclerosis um, refers to the hardening of the arteries. In the physical world, this can cause a heart attack. In the spiritual world, it can cause a life journey to hell. In my devotions this week, I was reading um, in the, in the uh, book of Habakkuk. And uh, 
you know, he had the same cry. Uh, how, Lord, how could you allow sin to go on as it has? How could you, you can't even look on evil. How can you allow things to go the way that they do? In his prayer, in the third chapter, he says these words, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in a time, make them known in our time. In wrath, remember mercy. I love that. In wrath, remember mercy. Remember mercy. So if judgment is a reality in all of our lives, and if, and, and if it is the condition of our heart and we're getting to know ourselves, then there's a few questions I want to ask in the reality of judgment. said after his, what is the condition of your heart? Jesus said after his, um, uh, after the Lord's Prayer, he said, if anyone uh, forgives anyone else of their sins against them, your heavenly Father will forgive your sins. But he who does not forgive sins, anyone who sins against him, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. The true reality of faith, the ability to forgive others, is faith. It is the reality of faith in your life. It is the reality that you have gained a gift of forgiveness in you. Second is my judgment based on love. In Hebrews 12, uh, infamous words about discipline come out. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as son. Is my judgment based on love? God's love is not a pampering love, it's a perfecting love. God's love is what drives his judgment in our lives today. And third, is my judgment based on truth? James 5 says these words. It says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from the death and cover over a multitude of sin. True judgment always turns people from fake back to real. Proverbs 27, 6 says, The wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In the instance that I gave you of the furries, those people who are just agreeing with their identity is actually their worst enemy. Because they say they love them. They say that they live in their camp. And yet they are promoting fake in their life that someday they will stand before God himself and give account. I serve a God of real. I do not serve a God of fake. And so as we come to this time, we have no excuse. Look at your heart. See the condition of your heart. God's judgment is always true. And there may be some of us today that God's judgment is saying, I see what you've done. Repent and return to him. And then as you live out your life, live in the realness of a God who loves you. Live in a God who can change your self-righteousness into his righteousness. No longer live in the fakeness of standing up and, and proclaiming your faith in Christ, and yet behind the scenes, living a life that is actually fake. He sees it. I think of, I think of Jeremiah, and I think of the first thing that he, that he was called to do as he stood up in front of the people, in front of the temple, and he just, he just cried out. He said, people of God, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you execute justice, and if you love the foreigner that's within you, and if you live your life for the Lord, he will accept you. But how can you go out 
and live in sin and then come back and find security and say, well, we're here in the temple of the Lord. He says, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. And so today, don't let God stop you. This may not have been a form of way you, the way that you might have said this, but don't let God stop you. Don't harden your heart before him because of the way it was said. And maybe it doesn't fit the way you've heard some things before. I'm not a usual pastor. But I'm here telling you, people of God, God so loves you. He desires your heart. He is tired of you living in the fake reality that you've got it all together and yet you go out from here and you live a life that is not honoring God. And he's saying that to me too. And so today is a real good day to repent and to return. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is more true than the word that I say. Your word is beautiful. And Lord, we have to admit we live in a world of, of Romans 1. We live in a world that is, is falling away from you. And Lord, um, the church needs to stand back up and to be the church in the midst of it to be a people that are honest before you, the true judge of all things, to be a people that is honest before each other and to live a life in such a way that the world sees the reflection of Jesus Christ in them. And so, Lord, my heart is moved to the fact that there are some that are in the midst here today that need to hear need to turn and hear your voice say, as a father unto a child, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you for being a God that touches a heart a year ago, that touches a heart through a friendship, that touches a heart through a surgery, that touches a heart through a thunderstorm, that touches a heart here, even in this place. And to pray that, Father, you will be lifted up and glorified in this place and that others will be drawn to you. We love you and we trust you. In the precious name of Jesus, and all God's people said,